15 of 1 John chapter 5 through the end of the chapter. 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if, and if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. All, righteous, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that begotten of of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And may God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us pause for prayer before our study. Father God, we come into your presence with thanksgiving once again for what you're accomplishing. We thank you for how you are literally working around the world. You are completely in control. And we thank you so much for the love that was shed on Calvary's tree that you spoke of even before the foundations of the world were made, as you said in Ephesians chapter 1. Father, for that gift, for that sacrifice that was made, the redemption was the outpouring of that, Father. Literally, because of that, there are certainties that, for, that John is speaking of in First John. We would ask that they would become alive to us and we would be open to receiving them. We'd ask that everyone that's here today that they would get a blessing because of us going to the Word of God. We would especially ask that you be with they and their families. And Father, if there's someone who was not able to make it today for, for various reasons, we ask that you'd hold them close to yourself. Allow them to know that you are sovereign and in control. Now, Father, we would look to you for guidance and direction. We would ask that our teacher today would exclusively be the Holy Spirit. And now, Father, as you open the word, we ask for your presence and your speaking to us in the deepest parts of ourselves. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, First John chapter 5, as we come to verses last week, we actually started. There was two certainties. We were beginning a series, uh, uh, an ending conclusion series, if you will, on this portion of Scripture, speaking about the certainties of Christianity. An amazing thing is the fact what Jesus Christ accomplished on Calvary's tree, those so many years ago, those things that developed and unfolded literally allow us the opportunity to be certain of things in a very uncertain world. It's amazing, and even in the last week of of developments in the last several days. There's so many things that we don't know for sure. There's not one of you in this room can know anything a minute in advance. There's no one that knows what will happen next Sunday. None of that happens, but we have things we can talk about and are described for us and literally are laid out because of what Jesus accomplished that are absolutely 100% certain. The certainty of Christianity. Last week we talked about the first one, which is unfolded for us in verse 13. And I'm here to say, and you know it, the scripture says, we can know that we have eternal life if we're in Jesus Christ. We can know that. One of the things we want to talk a little bit about today as well is sometimes, uh, maybe we'll just visit a little bit about this. What's the difference between confidence and arrogance? What are the differences? Or is there any? And uh, 
Alice, you said pride. Which side of the spectrum is pride in relationship to confidence or arrogance? Arrogance. Yeah, really, really is. Is it, is it okay to be confident? Let me, before you even answer, some of you are thinking this is a trick question. What is the difference between confidence and arrogance? Well, let me ask you this. Let's say that you, you're, you have a vehicle and it's in trouble and you don't know how to fix it. So the first thing you do is what? Pray. Pray. <laughs> pray. Wait. You pray. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's actually going to fit up really nicely because really literally praying is a good thing because a prayer will probably lead you to a good mechanic. Now, here's what, let's say, let's say, Lois, that you've prayed and you've taken your vehicle or called the mechanic to you. What's the first thing they'll probably do is pop the hood. And they look inside and said, can you help me? And the mechanic says, let's see, is that the engine? Is that, is that the carburetor? Now, what I would do is slam the hood and try another one, right? Because they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> do you see what I'm getting at? If I go to a doctor... I want them to know where my appendix is if they're going to try to remove it. <laughs> I want them to know. I want them to have confidence. See, confidence is built on knowledge. Arrogance is built on pride. I want the people that I want details, I want them to know. <laughs> and Christians need to know the Word of God, and Christians need to know the assurances and the certainties that they have in Jesus Christ. And John, we've talked about this. If you went back, the key verse, I'll just say it again. John chapter 20, verse 31 tells about the fact of the reason that he wrote the gospel of John. It's literally so that men and women and boys and girls could believe that Jesus Christ was everlasting life, that he was the source of truth. That was to believe, to become a Christian. And now 1 John, actually, he is, his, his motive is, is to make certain they understand the assurances of what you have believed. And there's five of those we find as he, as he ends this. The first is the fact that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, once again, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. In other words, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you know that you have eternal life. That's confidence, not arrogance, confidence. The second one we looked at last week was the fact, and this course of eternal life, and by the way, the day that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I mean, you make it the real deal, you make it serious business, there's no fooling around, I'm talking that your life has changed. From that course, from that day forward, you have eternal life. Mark that, eternal life. Not a life that ends, eternal life from that point all the way as far as you can possibly imagine, times 10 to the 50th power, and a million times times that, and as far as you could possibly imagine, and we just got started. That's eternal life. And that is ours in Jesus Christ. Now, while we're on that journey, it's amazing, actually, the fact that we have a few problems along the way. We spoke of mechanics and doctors. Those are necessary for this. And you know what? As we go along through this journey in life, there's something that we are also promised. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you are in Jesus Christ, God will answer your prayers. Just soak on that for a moment. God will answer your prayers. Now, it may not be the answer that you thought it may be. It may not be something that you want, but that's the key to prayer. What does prayer really focus on? It allows us to get in tune with God's will. When we're in tune with God's will, it really gets heaven's will done on earth. And everything works the way it's supposed to do when we're, when we're praying. And he will answer your prayer. We talked about it last week. What's your favorite answer to prayer? Yes. 
Yes, that is true. Because that, and by the way, let's, let's read this. Uh, we're, we're just kind of reviewing, but uh, verse, verse 15 of our text, 1 John chapter 5, verse 15. If we know that he hear us, we know he does, whatsoever we ask, and that's where we want to stop it. We want to end this sentence there. Whatever we ask, and we say, well, we're praying for a portion. It should be in the front yard tomorrow. Well, that doesn't mean, but there's something we have to finish the sentence. Some of you are, are laughing a little bit about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a need that we have that God will give us. But he goes on to say, And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If we are asking in God's will, there is nothing that does not happen when we're asking in his will. So the key is, is for our will to get aligned with his will. And you got to want, we start to want what he wants. That's what's the beauty of prayer. He can change our minds. And if I tell you, you've got a problem with somebody, somebody that's really messed with you, and you, are, you have a problem with this person, the best thing you can do is start to pray for that person. Because God changes you along with the other guy or the other gal. And it's amazing how God changes all of those things while we're praying. And his will is unfolded. What's your, what's your least favorite answer from God? Wait. That is, my, that is my least favorite, is to wait. In other words, I'm not ready, or the situation's not ready. In the meantime, we're just waiting. What usually happens when we're waiting? We're learning. We're learning to lean on Jesus. But two certainties, we have everlasting life, and we have answers to prayers. The one we want to touch on today, we'll find in verse 18. The fact is, if you're a Christian and you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you have eternal life. You have your prayers answered in this journey as you go ultimately to glory. To, to glory. But the other thing is, as I can tell you with confidence because of what John says, in verse 18 of chapter 5 of 1 John, it says this. We know, oh, before we do this any further, I want you to just look at your Bibles and look at the emphasis that John puts on that word know or confidence. Verse 13, watch carefully. You that you may know. You should underline needs in the Scripture. This, this is good stuff for you. Christians need to know what is theirs. Verse 14, and this is the confidence. Underscore it. Verse 15, and if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have petitions. Go down to verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God, God keepeth Himself. Verse 19, and we know that we are of God. And verse 20, and we know that we may know him. Did you get eight times? John is emphatically saying to us, we can know these things. These are certainties for us. Now back to verse 18. Let's find the third certainty. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. I'm here today, I'm, I'm here to tell you that that verse tells us emphatically that a Christian has victory over sin. A Christian has victory over sin. It's not just getting along. You have victory in Jesus. I love that. I love that old hymn, Victory in Jesus. How many of you have victory today? Now, one of the things that we need to be careful to say, as John's been helping us through all of this, is it says that those begotten of God, those that have trusted Christ, that they sin not, that they no longer sin. And you guys get depressed and, well, I just sinned yesterday or maybe five minutes ago or an hour ago. It's not the sense of perfection. It's the sense of direction. When you're headed in the right direction, there are times that you stumble. 
And that's why, if we said it any other way, let's go back to 1 John chapter 1, and let's look at what God says about us in sin. Now, he's writing to Christians, first of all, in 1 John. But let's look now in verse 8. Verse 8 of chapter 1. We've went through this, but let's remind ourselves. Chapter 1 of verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, did you see that? In other words, we will sin. Unfortunately, that's part of the flesh nature, which isn't eradicated. You can be, you're justified, you're made right, you're declared righteous by God, but there's still the flesh nature, which I'd love to unpack and get rid of that. And ultimately we will. But you know what? We would never know how strong God is if we didn't know how much we needed to rely on him in the present condition of which we find ourselves. That whole thing, as a sense, is incredibly important for us. But let's look at verse 9, same chapter. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you as a Christian, you're not perfect, but you're forgiven when you confess your sins to Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing to know. And even look further, just look at the position of Jesus Christ. Now we know him as being the one that has come to earth. He was, the word was made flesh. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He is God, in fact. He came to earth, lived 33 years. He died at the hands of those that he created, ultimately, hung on a cross, was dead, was buried, rose again. So what's he doing now? He's, he's got a lot of work because we need a lot of help. Let's turn to verse, chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2. My little children, he uses that over and over again. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. He's writing so that you don't sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, literally, when the accuser, and if you go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, write that, note, write that down for yourself, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, and you'll find there that that is literally what Satan is doing actively is to accuse Christians. The ones that aren't Christian, he already has those. He doesn't, he's not worried about them. He's concerned in taking away testimony. He's, a, he's concerned about taking away anything that has any influence from a Christian. And he's doing it through constant accusation. You show me a Christian that is not being used and is ineffective, I will show you a discouraged Christian of which Satan has somehow beaten him down. Jesus Christ is our advocate. Another word for that is, it's not a good word in our, but it is absolutely, he is our defense attorney, our lawyer. Now, in Africa, I don't know what you have for lawyers, but in the United States, most of the time, the profession for lawyers here is not really looked upon with great deal of delight. They're somewhat not writing the scale exactly straight as an arrow. I remember one story. I don't know if I told you this or not, but it just popped in my mind. I was in Canada at a uh, BIF conference, that's Beef Improvement Federation, and uh, there was a, a speaker from up there that had a very in uh, really large operation, was fully integrated. I don't want to get into too much of the details. But he said uh, he got up to describe this, this, this situation, and he said, I would like you to know, he says, we are so far north, and it is so cold that our lawyers keep their hands in their own pockets. Oh. <laughs> and the place just erupted. There was about 1,000 people there. But I'll never forget it as long as I live, and it was just set up perfectly. But any, at any rate, this is the real deal. This is the defense attorney of all time, of all places, and he's your defense attorney for your life and against the sin of which you've committed. And if you've confessed it, he says this every time to the Father, I paid for that sin. 
Now, the key is, is you must confess it. You must receive him as your savior. If you don't receive him, it's like not taking a gift that he's given to you. You don't take the gift. There's no forgiveness. But when you confess, he fully, completely says, I paid for that sin, paid in full. That is wonderful news, isn't it? It's a certainty that we have in Jesus Christ. There is victory over sin. I'd actually like us to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. It shows us our condition prior to Jesus Christ. Uh, One that is unsaved, there is uh, literally, it is described for us in Ephesians chapter chapter 2 verse 1. And it speaks of it this way. See, the unconverted, those that don't know Jesus, cannot stop sinning. They can do nothing but sin. Verse two, verse, chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you hath he, Jesus, quickened. That word is to be made alive. You hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Literally, apart from Jesus Christ, there isn't anything you can do. Nothing in the world can you do for the dilemma you find yourself in. For the wages of sin is death. There's nothing you can accomplish. But it goes on to say, wherein, verse 2, in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation, our citizenry, in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Watch. That sounds pretty dismal, doesn't it? It sounds like we're trapped. There's no way out. And literally, apart from Jesus Christ, there isn't. There's not one other way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And look at this in verse 4. I love these in the scripture. It says, but God. The but gods. In that situation, but God, who is rich in mercy, not giving us what we deserve, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened or made us alive together with Christ by grace You are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at verses 8 and 9, what he's given to us. And for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not faith that saves you. Mark that carefully. I I spoke some time back. There was a gentleman that um, that was suffering from some cancer. And he was, he, he was, you know, he's very optimistic. And I was, uh, I was visiting with him and said, how can I, is there anything I can do? Oh, he said, I just have to, I just have to have faith. I said, Faith in what? I just have to have faith. I have to have faith. It's the faith that I have to have. I said, well, what is your faith in? And he stopped. And he said, well, it's just, it's faith. Now, each and every one of you have actually played, except for me, the only one that is is not exercising faith in an object right now is me. You are all sitting on a chair. You have all felt enough strength in the sense of the faith that that chair is going to hold you. That's literally all faith is. You're relying upon totally trusting that chair has your faith. But you must have much more than that to have eternal life. And I kept pressing this guy. And you're literally, it would have been this. He was, had faith in faith, which was in himself. That's not good enough. That's not enough. It falls woefully short. God needs to have you and have your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. By grace alone, in Christ alone. Let's keep going. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. It's interesting. Paul is relaying for those uh, of which he's in attendance. He's he's in prison. He's uh, not too far away from being martyred, actually. And he's appearing before Agrippa, and he's speaking to him. And it's interesting what 
Let's start at about uh, verse 13, Acts chapter 26, verse 13. And he's uh, relaying what had happened to him on the road to Damascus. He's, he's reliving how Paul's life was completely changed. Now, Paul was on a direction. He was totally going 100% away from God. There, you couldn't have went in a harder direction away from God. Now, he's very religious. I want you to not mess that. There are religious people today that are going in the wrong direction away from God because they're following religion. Okay? So, this is what he says. At midday, O king, verse 13, chapter 26 of Acts. At midday, O king, I saw in the way, this is Paul, a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. When we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, this is Jesus' words, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this, for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Now watch, verse 17 and 18. These are words that Jesus said. Delivering thee from the people, from the Gentiles, and unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan. Unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That literally is what, what, Paul's, what Paul's whole focus was, was to literally be part of God opening the eyes of those that did not even know they were in a sinful condition. What a beautiful thing to know that literally we can have victory over that very same thing. So how can we tell if someone is a believer? That's really the question that John lays out there for us. And how do we do that? We look at their life. We know them by their works. That's exactly right. There's a, if there's a constant pattern of sin that's unbroken, it relieves the sense of a slavery to sin. We must look at their life. And again, I'm not saying sinless. Don't, don't walk away from me. Oh, I sinned. I sinned. So I must be. No, no, I'm not talking about that. Now, sin breaks fellowship. That's what First John is all about. He wants us to regain koinonia. I love that word. Doesn't it sound better than fellowship? Fellowship. Let's have some fellowship. No, I want koinonia. Right? That's the Greek word for fellowship. And that's what he really wants us to have. And when we sin, we fall out of that. If we're in his God, if we're, if we're in, in his will, we must be regained in the sense of koinonia. Now, sin is actually incompatible with the law of God. Turn back to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. <clears throat> sin in the regards to the law. Verse 4 says in chapter 3, 1 John, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for the sin, for sin is the transgression of the law. It's incompatible with the law of, of God. It, it's falling short, if you will. Turn to verse 5, same chapter, chapter 3, verse 5 of 1 John. And you know that he was manifested or made known to us, shown to us, to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Sin is incompatible with the work of Christ. And it's not that we never sin. I've already, we've already went back to 1 John chapter 1, but there's got to be a pattern or a habit of sin that is, that is gone. It's not perfection, it's direction. When we are born of God, literally, you cannot habitually sin. Let's go to verse 9, same chapter. This is interesting. In fact, verse 8 as well. Verse 8, chapter 3, 1 John. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Two things that Jesus accomplished. He broke the power of sin, and he broke the penalty of sin, and he broke the works of Satan. That is fantastic news. That is fantastic news. Verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, 
for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, again, not talking absolute perfection, but there's something that takes place when you've trusted Jesus Christ. And you all know this if you study the scriptures, but we need to know as Christians the certainties. If you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, something happened on that onset, and that was that you received the Holy Spirit. He dwelleth within you, and he doesn't leave. He is absolutely there because you were a purchased possession. You have been redeemed. You have been paid for, and he is the seal that proves that to be true. As you read your Bible, the Holy Spirit uses it to to enlighten you and to allow you to see really what he wants you to see. What a gift that is. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 for a moment. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 through 23. Start in verse 17. Let's see, wrong chapter. There we go. Romans chapter 6. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. See that again? Servants of sin. You couldn't stop sinning if you wanted to. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. You see, you, either ha- you have a master. You either serve sin or you serve Jesus. There's, there's really no in-between. It's absolutely there. The sense of what he allows you to be able to, 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 to accomplish in him. Watch. Keep going. Uh, verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead. Indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Literally, as Jesus Christ died for you, we are dead in dead to sin because of the fact that he rose from the dead. Powerful thing to know. Powerful thing to know. <clears throat> As we go back to 1 John, let's go back to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18. Keep moving here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. <clears throat> the idea behind this verse is, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Again, no habitual sin. The pattern of our life will exhibit really whose we are. But he, now this is speaking of Jesus, but he, Jesus, that is begotten of God, he's the only begotten of God, keepeth himself or keepeth the one, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Think of this for a moment. If you're a Christian, Satan cannot grip you, he cannot embrace you, he cannot hold you. He has no bearing on you whatsoever. Now, if you're in the world, if you've not trusted Christ, literally the world, Satan himself, has a firm hold. You are entangled, is a word that would be used in the scriptures, fully and completely held firmly in that bondage. If you're in Christ, you are held firmly. Let's go to Luke chapter 22 for a moment. Luke chapter 22. This is just before Jesus Christ's trial. It was was just briefly, hours before he was betrayed. Luke chapter 22, I'd like you to see what he does for Peter. And it's a passage that you know well, but just look at how Jesus describes for this one that he thought so much of and what was about to happen to him. Jesus is keeping Peter. Verse 31, chapter 22 of Luke. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted or returned, strengthen thy brethren. 
That's a very, very powerful thing to know. Jesus Christ right here is already speaking of what's going to happen to Simon. And he, Simon Peter, what did he say? Oh, no, 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 I'll go to the death with you. There's nothing of which I will not go. I will, I will follow you to the grave. And you know, literally within hours, he had denied him three times. The last, one of the Gospels talks about the fact that Jesus turned after he had not, he, had, he literally said he didn't even know him. And, those, and when Jesus' eyes met Peter, what did, Peter went on and wept bitterly. I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. Peter didn't lose his faith. He lost his courage. And when he returned... He literally became the rock of the church. And Jesus prayed for him. There is not, keep this in mind very clearly. You remember the story of Job. Job made no mistakes in the sense of patterned life. How did Satan get to Job? What was it that made uh, that opportunity for Satan to mess with Job's life? God allowed it. God allowed Peter to go through that, that I'm going to just say that temptation to not even know his Savior. Now, he had been asked previously, who are you? Jesus, Jesus said, who do you say I am? And he said, what? You are the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one, the King of Israel. And he said, thou hast wisely answered. And now he says he doesn't even know him. That's, but, but you know what? Coming after the resurrection, and those, and those people see him, he said, you go tell the disciples and Peter. You see that? That personal touch of our Savior. When you fall down, just get right back up. Just get right back up. Just get right back up because you have victory over sin. You cannot lose your faith in Jesus Christ if you've, given your, your, if you've trusted him. It cannot happen because it's not, it's not sort of eternal life. It is eternal life. Never broken. What a beautiful thing to know. Christ is committed to keeping us. Let's go back to uh, John on your way back. Let's go to John chapter 17, verse 6. John chapter 17 and verse 6. Jesus' prayer, speaking of those that we did attendance with and even looking forward to us. John chapter 17, verse 6. <clears throat> Watch his perspective of who these people are. Maybe let's just start in verse 1. John chapter 17, verse 1. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son may also glorify thee. We are at a climax. Literally, this is a climax for God to finally redeem those that have been caught up in the sin world. Verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as those that, hast given, that thou hast given him. Given him. And this is life eternal, that we might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Watch verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. We are in Christ's care. We have been given to him. He's committed to keeping us. Turn all the way back to the little letter of Jude. You'll find Revelation. Just turn back and you'll find if you're in Jude chapter 3, you are in the wrong Jude. Revelation and just back one page and you'll find that little letter called Jude. Verse 24 and 25, the very end of that little letter. Listen carefully. Speak Again, looking to the, to the security we have in him. Now unto him... Verse 24 
of Jude. Now unto him, Jesus, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. And I say amen and amen. Hallelujah. That's the Jesus that is able to hold us from falling. When you're in him, you're safe. Safe. I'm getting fired up now. What are we going to do? Slow me down, right? Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And let's look at verses 19 and 20. Hebrews chapter 6. Just look at the terminology that is used here from the sense of uh, a ship or from ocean dwelling. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, it's very interesting. Now, in the the Old Testament, you didn't just walk into the Holy of Holies. That was a separate place surrounded by a very thick veil, probably about 18 to 24 inches. And that was literally on the day that Jesus Christ said, it is finished. At that moment, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that veil of that dimension, that thick, split from the top to the bottom in the temple, and the Holy of Holies, for the first time, had been opened up to the public. That must have scared them to death. Because that was the place in the Old Testament that if a priest went in once a year for the Day of Atonement, his job was to atone for the sins of all of the people. And they usually had a rope around his foot and a bell that he was wearing on his ephod. And the reason being that if he went in here and he hadn't confessed his sins adequately... It got quiet. No bell. Pull him out by the rope. And that happened. So here's the deal. We're talking that this area, this Holy of Holies was literally split open because Jesus Christ was the one-time atonement to completely satisfy sin's requirements once and for all. And now what it's saying is we literally have Jesus as our anchor. Have anyone seen a, a big ship? Like the Queen Mary, that's the only one I've ever seen, I think. Have you ever seen the anchor in the Queen Mary? The thing is huge. And when they drop that anchor, guess what? Even the Queen Mary stops. And you know what? When you're anchored by Jesus Christ, there's no one that can take you away. No one, no one, no one, nothing. In fact, go to Romans chapter 8. Let's make sure we understand what that means. Romans chapter 8. Paul asked the question. Romans chapter 8. Verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What a great question. What a great question. And it goes on to say that, in, we'll, we'll just skip all the way down to verse 37. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, Jesus. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, including yourself, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is an amazing, powerful certainty that is placed in Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. If you don't have Jesus, you're in trouble. That's all I can tell you. You're in deep trouble. Make it happen. Now, I want you to see that preservation is just as real and just as the same as justification. Let's turn one more time to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse, 20, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 24. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus is on your team. I'm, let me say it another way. You are on Jesus' team. 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 5, I'll get there in a moment, chapter 5, verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. In other words, you signed up, it's a full-blown tour. There's no shortcuts. There's no getting off. You are locked in. He's faithful to complete what he did. In fact, does that not sound like Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? Turn there for a moment. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. One of my favorite verses. I love it because I'm a work in progress. Many of you know that I've got challenges and problems, and I'm not very good about a lot of things, but I'll tell you what. I just say that God isn't, he's finishing the junk, and he's going to clean it up, and it's going to be good. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, being confident. Ah, did you see it's the same word that was used in First John? To know, being confident with complete knowledge of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What a fabulous thing. Make a note of that. Preservation is just as accurate as justification. Turn one more time with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. These are the last words literally that Paul was writing down to his dear uh, student, the one he's mentoring, Timothy. Literally, he, he will be giving his life and martyrdom very shortly hereafter. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 18. Look at this verse. 2 Timothy 4 verse 18. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. No matter where you're at, you can be on deathbed within a second of the end of your life. And if you're in Jesus, you are safe. You are anchored. You are completely safe in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. I want to show you one other thing. In Romans chapter 5, go back with me quickly. Uh, it's, it's from the, the thing that would be the hardest to do to the sense of keeping you in that position. So let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and let's look, I'm sorry, at verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 5 of Romans, it says, For if, when we were enemies, and as we were enemies of God, we were reconciled or brought back to Him, how? By the death of His Son. Now, how hard is that? That's pretty hard. You're, you're separate from God. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says we were dead in trespasses and sin. If we're separated from him and he, re, he reconciled us by the death of the son, that would, be, that would be harder than what he says next. Look, if that's what he accomplished, how much more than being reconciled, we shall be saved by his very life. In other words, if he's brought us to life, how hard is it for him to keep us living? You see, it's, 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 the, more, it's the harder project and going to the lesser. It's a point well taken. Victory we have over sin. The last, the last two will move quickly. See, if we, if, see what you guys can tell me. The first certain we have in Christianity is, number one is eternal life. The second one is answered prayer. The third one is victory over sin. And the fourth one is we literally belong to God. We belong to God. Thank you, folks, for sharing your... No, no, no problem at all. Have a safe trip, and uh, we'll be in touch. Let's go to, uh, if we go to, um, let's see, verse 19, back, back, back to verse 19 and 1 John. Where did I have you? I actually lost track of what I was doing. Oh, yeah, verse 19. Let's go back. 1 John chapter 5, and we'll move quickly now. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We know that we belong to God. He's bought us. He's saved us. We are His. And the world belongs to Satan, to the evil one, if you will. The whole system 
that we, that we, this whole society in which we find ourselves engaged, all of this right here is part of the world system. And it is, it's completely contaminated, isn't it? Every aspect of it, from the political system to the economic system to the, I mean, you name them, all of them are contaminated by sin. But we belong to God. As bad as it is, are you still in 1 John? Let's go to 1 John chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. As John is reiterating, reviewing, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Again, he's, he's, he's wanting us to understand clearly there's, a, there's an absolute separation between what is God, what is God's, and what is Satan's. And we belong to God. In fact, quickly, let's look at John chapter 1, verses 1. I'm sorry, John chapter 1, verse 12. Again, written by John in the sense of wanting us to understand how important it is to believe in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Says this, he came not, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, just take, just, just get a feel of that for a moment. Immerse in it, in the sense of God has given the power to become his very sons if we believe in Jesus. Just, just soak that. You are the sons of God, given eternal life in Jesus Christ. Doesn't that, there's something about that is powerful to know that we, and by the way, did you guys earn it? Please say no. No, there's no earning going on, is there? This is a gift, and he has bought us. He has purchased us. In fact, I'm just thinking now, let's go to first. Uh, 1 Corinthians for a moment. 1 Corinthians, again, maybe a common passage to you, but it's again, it's so important for us through repetition to know what God is wanting us to know through His Word as a Christian and the certainties that we have. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, if I ever get there. It's time for, uh, you know, if you, you guys see my Bible, it just kind of is in pieces, okay? But I can't, oh, it's, Okay, that piece goes there. I just, it's so hard for me to go to another. I've got lots of Bibles. Would, were you not, let's just take it, just, just a little bit of a time out here. I mean, just think of this for a moment. Um, as, as, um, as Osborne's were here and we were speaking as such of how poor that nation is, $1 a day, $1 a day, that's 30 bucks a month. And you thought you were getting... You were overpaid. Yeah. I, could, I could go into child abuse that my mother did when, we, when I fed all these chickens, but I'm not going to go there either. I got a dollar a week, right? It was horrible. No, I'm, I'm not going to go down that trail. I'm, I'm going to stay away from that trail. I'm going to stay away from that trail. But, but the, okay, let's come back. In all seriousness and reality, I found it, I found it extremely interesting. A dollar a day, and they are just yearning. For God's word. In America, I don't know what our mean, what our average median salary is. I don't know. Somebody could Google it and tell me. It's fine. But the point of the matter is, I would, I would almost, it would be embarrassing to know how many Bibles are just laying around in the houses that no one is using. How many churches today were nearly empty in the United States, and they're begging for them. 
begging for them. Did you see those? Did you see those buildings? And they're just filled. Now, that's commitment. Now, that's commitment. By the way, this church is open if you need to stay here Saturday night. It's open for you. But isn't that, that is truly amazing in the sense of what God's power can do in what would seem like the most unendurable situations. 40% unemployed. And they need Jesus and they know it. Public schools to be open for them to teach. Who's the richest? Exactly right. They're one of the richest nations on earth because they're allowing God to work. Fabulous, isn't it? But the same certainty that we have, the same certainties they have, we have. That's what's really cool. It doesn't matter what you make. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter where you're at. God is God of the world. I don't even know where I was taking you now. I lost track. Oh, 1 Corinthians. There we go. Let's, look, let's go turn to chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll look at verses 19 and 20. We belong to God. We belong to God. That's a certainty. Verse 19. What? (laughs) I love that. What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Stop for a moment. We just spoke about the fact. Where would, you remember in the Old Testament, they built, they built this temple, and they had you know, the outer court, and they had the inner court, and then they had uh, all of these sacrificial, uh, sac- uh, sacrificial areas and the, uh, the utensils, and then it was the Holy of Holies. That was a curtain. And, the, and, and as they, made a, they made a full permanent temple. I mean, it, it was, nobody's going to get past that. Nobody. That's there to make sure nobody gets into the presence of God. Think of that. Think of that. They were afraid of God. Now, we have to fear from the sense of awe and wonder and awesomeness. But when Jesus Christ died and he paid for that, he was our atonement. Because when that priest went in there on the the Ark of the Covenant, on the very top of it, he would have put blood from 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 a lamb on top of that. And that was seen as what God saw as atonement, covering that sin. And when Jesus Christ died, the one time was all was ever needed because he was God, which is our, actually our last certainty is the fact that Jesus is God. I am so thankful he's God because I, I had some folks one time, they came in from a different persuasion and they came in and they were telling me about Jesus. And I said, well, let's talk about Jesus. You say that Jesus is just, just a human. What's your point? I said, it's a big point. It's a really, really big point. Because if Jesus was not God, he's not big enough to die for me. He's not big enough to die for you. He's not strong enough. He does not have enough power to accomplish what God needed to have done. He was all God. He was all man. In fact, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. That sounded bad. Was it that bad or was not too bad? No, good, good. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one. I just, I, you know, I always wonder. Second Corinthians chapter five, and look at verse twenty-one. For he hath made him. You now let's let's take this apart. For he, God the Father, hath made him Jesus, God's Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. See, it had to be God for Him to finish the task that God had laid out. This was vitally important for all the things that were taking place. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2 for a moment. Titus chapter 2. Jesus Christ is the real deal. All authentic. Where did I tell you to go? 
Titus chapter 2. There we go. On the way, are you guys close to 1 Peter? 2 Peter? Couldn't be. You could be, right? 2 Peter, let's go there. Chapter 1, verse 1. Hope you're writing all of these down. These are all things that you need to know. For you to be a Christian that has certainties in your life, you need to know these things and give yourself confidence in those moments when Satan comes and tries to plunge you into discouragement and despair. You can reel these out and say, no, this is the truth. This is the real deal. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, making Jesus and God the very same person. This was written by Simon Peter, the one that denied him. You, you say, can you sin? Yeah, if you're in the right direction and you sin and you confess it, get right back up, get going. That's exactly what Peter did. He did not lose his faith. He lost his, his courage. He lost his courage. Let's go back to Titus now that I told you that's where we're going to go. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Are your fingers getting sore? No. Bleeding. Bleeding. <laughs> All right. Titus chapter 2, and let's look at verse 13. We'll start in verse 11. Titus 2.11. Uh, I'm sorry. For the grace of God. This is a fabulous passage. You need to have this one in, somewhere in your, in your notes. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's fabulous. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Just think of that for a second now. Every single person has the opportunity to be saved. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, watch, the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, making God and Jesus Christ exactly the same. Jesus is the very God. No question about it. Turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 1. We're kind of hanging around in this same area. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. <clears throat> now this is... Uh, watch carefully the terms that are used here. But unto the Son... Are you all there? Hebrews 1 verse 8. But unto the Son, capital S, He saith, Thy throne, O God... Is forever and ever. Did you see what was said? The Son is God. Thus, the certainty that Jesus is God. That's one of the things we must have understanding because if Jesus is not God, then you got the wrong Jesus. What do Jesus? Who, does, who do people say Jesus is today? What's some answers that you'd get? Let's just cut, write a few of them down. Okay, that's right. Could be. Uh, Okay, you guys are going quick. Let me, uh, a carpenter. Um, good teacher. What did, Ryan, would you say prophet? prophet? See, you guys are coming up with all kinds of answers. What'd you say? Good. What did you say? Good teacher. That's right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I have to tell you, don't I? Absolutely. What else? Good man. Good man. 
wonder how many said that. Jesus taught somewhere or something. Man, that was, that was really good. I really appreciated that message you gave to us. That was, that's good. That was good. Good teaching. Anything else? Is this the Jesus that will, is this the Jesus that will save you? No. Why not? You're right, by the way. You're right. Why? He's not God. He's literally, that's the answer. He's not God. And if he's not God, he cannot save you. If he's any, now, any one of these things, it won't work out. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And even if he hadn't, let's, let's say there was a human that hadn't sinned, which there's never been one. That's the only one that could have been saved was himself in a human form. But Emmanuel, God with us, he had to be God to save us. Any less than God, and he's not enough. Now, the other thing is, all of these actually, literally, are a real problem. Because if you say he's a good teacher, let's qualify that for a second. Let's go to John chapter 8, verse 58. I'm just going to, because we're, we're running out of time here, which is not unusual, obviously. But we'll just, uh, let's pop in, in a couple of them. John chapter 8, and let's look at verse 58. Now, again, coming from the line of, let's say that, let's say any one of these. Carpenter, he's a brother, he's a prophet, he's a good teacher, he's a good man. John chapter 8, we need to pick up, don't, did you read it already? I'm sorry, just imagine you didn't. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back, let's go back a minute and let's start in uh, verse 52. John chapter 8, verse 52. Okay. Now, he'd already went through a situation um, with the Pharisees and the Jews and the religious leaders, but here's a whole other segment of it. It's kind of the ending one, if you will. Then said the Jews unto him, And now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. In other words, and it goes on to say, I'm sorry, Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? You see what they're saying? What, what, what do you mean? You're the, you're the carpenter. You're, at best, a good teacher, maybe a prophet. And you're saying what? You're saying that you have more power than those guys? Who makes you better than you? Who, may, who do you think you are? Now watch. How does he respond? What's a good teacher going to say? Let's keep moving. <laughs> if I honor myself, verse 54, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me of whom you say that he is your God. If you have not known him, but I know him. I'm sorry, yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now think of that. This is very, very important. Abraham did not know who Jesus was, but because of the promise that God had laid out back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there would be a coming Redeemer, Abraham was looking to that promise and he saw it in Jesus not knowing who he was but he trusted God for what he said was going to happen and he said that he saw it and was glad now watch that's not going over very good if you're a good teacher in Jew in, in Israel then said the Jews on him verse verse 57 you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham now watch this verse this takes a good teacher and blows it out of the water Jesus said unto them, Verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. He has just declared himself to be God. If he's declared himself to be God, he's either crazy, he's not a good teacher anymore, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. 
Yeah. Or a, there's three, three, three possibilities. He's a lunatic. He's out of his mind. He's a liar. Or he's Lord. Or he's Lord. I like the three L's. See how I'm, I'm kind of that L guy? Lunatic, liar, Lord. See how that's just a teacher board of me, right? Yeah. And you know what? You can only take any one of those choices. You choose the wrong one, you got the wrong Jesus. You don't have the right Jesus if he's any less than the Lord. But he is. He is all God. Now, let's finish the last verse, which almost seems to be just out of place. 1 John chapter 5. And the last verse seems just, you know, we're just, we're powering up here. And then he says this. Whoops, where did I go here? 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. You're there. I'm getting there. Okay. Let's, let's, let's read verses 18 through 21. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. He that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. In other words, Jesus Christ has full, full uh, custody of you. He has full control of you. Satan cannot touch him. He can't hold you. He can't grab you. He can't not grasp you. Verse 19, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We belong to God. We know that the Son of God has come. He has come. He hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. We are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. And period. And then he ends with this verse. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. It's like that verse. Oh, shouldn't we put that somewhere else? Let's, let's, let's put that verse somewhere else. It just seems like, let, let's put amen behind that last verse of verse 20. I, I think you were projecting that there would be cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> and other things, right? And other things. Over the course of those 2,000 years, and he's actually, here's a man that's in his 90s, and his last verse written to these people, these Christians, that he's showing to have surety, to have certainty in Jesus Christ. His last verse is, little children, Keep yourselves from idols. And what's an idol? Anything that takes the place of God. Some of the questions we can ask ourselves, where am I spending my time? What am I thinking about? What's important to me? What do I really sacrifice for? Those questions will lead you. I'm not saying that necessarily is a good answer at the end of them, but it will show you where that perspective is. Now, here's the other thing. What do you know about an idol? What have we been talking about Jesus Christ? We've been talking about these last five things. Let's review them for me. You tell me. First thing, the certainties of Christianity, number one is you have eternal life. Number two, answered prayer. Not just, not just somebody listen to prayer. Answered prayer. Number three, victory over sin. Number four, you belong to God. You are a purchased possession. No one can take you away from him. That's cool. Number five, Jesus is God. What is that talking about? That is all authentic, real, deal, factual. Tell me what an idol is. None of those. It's a fake. It's, what did you say, Leslie? Deceitful. It is literally a fake. It's a substitute. It's something that displaces our focus and takes us away from real God. False gods. Is that not a perfect place to end? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's finish with 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, because it fits perfectly. It's like he ended where he began. Let's read it one more time. Did you guys think we were actually going to get done with 1 John? No. <laughs> Jeff's, Jeff's nodding his head no. no. 1 John chapter... <laughs> you had confidence? Yeah, that's, that's the sixth certainty. We will get done with 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Speaking of Jesus. For the life was manifested or shown, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested or shown unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have koinonia with us. And truly our koinonia is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. And the way to have your joy full is to know those five certainties. If you're a Christian, those five things are awesome. No matter what happens, they are yours. They are yours. Let's pause for prayer. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. And we thank you, Father, for the little epistle of 1 John. As he was writing to those that had trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And today, Father, maybe there's someone here that has never done that. These rights, these certainties are not theirs, but they can be. Literally, at the moment of them opening their heart to you. When they acknowledge the fact that they are sinners, there's nothing they can do about it. The death is the result of the wages of sin. But, Father, you redeemed us. Jesus Christ died for us. He took the sacrifice that was necessary to purify and to cleanse and to redeem. And when one reaches out in faith and says, Lord Jesus, there's no way apart from you that I can be saved. There's no way that I can shortcut death physically. There's nothing that I can do to shortcut death spiritually without some way to conquer the death problem because of the sin problem which came through Adam. And Lord God, I trust Jesus Christ to be that one, that Savior of my life, that one that died a perfect death with sinless life. I accept Him. I truly accept Him now. I repent of my sins, Father. I lean on Jesus. I trust Him with my future. I trust Him for the eternal life that was promised through Him. If you've spoken those words and it was truthfully from the very innermost part of your heart, your life, all of it means then literally on that moment you've been saved. You've, made, you've been born again. You've been made brand new. And these five certainties now are yours instantaneously. Things that cannot be taken away from you. The fact of eternal life, answered prayer, victory over sin. You now belong to God. You're not, your, you're not your own. You're not a slave of Satan. You're not a slave to sin any longer because the Holy Spirit lives within you. And you know that Jesus is God. Father, what an amazing gift of life. And to know that it's literally the hardest thing one would do, but it's also made very easy through the grace of yourself, through Jesus. Now, Father, we trust you with the rest of this day. We're thanking you for uplifting yourself, glorifying your name. We especially thank you for giving us Jesus Christ. These things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.